Ashton here with Love Life and Disability. I met Nigel through the disability group on Facebook, which is about working in the media. So thank you so much for joining me today, Nigel. Thank you. And you're from Ability Academy. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about Ability Academy? Yeah. So Ability Academy was set up because I myself have got uh, an invisible disability. Um, it used to be called manic depression and now today it's called bipolar. And when I was younger, I basically was told that I, I wouldn't work in TV and film. And actually, when I said what I wanted to do, they they thought I wanted to repair TV. So that was about as good as my career service was. Um, and I've had a passion for a long time to set up an academy which is both accessible, inclusive, and, afford uh, and affordable. And that's why I set up this academy. And it's taken me a long time. It's taken me over three years to get where I am. But now we've actually um, delivered training for the BBC, the National Film School. Uh, we've just currently delivered some training to China. And we also did uh, and got some funding from Scope Disability because uh, what, what we're trying to do is um, uh, reduce the employment gap. There's, trouble is there's a lot of people with uh, very, very uh, qualified with disabilities, but they find it a struggle just because of accessibility, often accessibility issues to work in the film and TV industry. And what we're trying to do is to work with companies to try and um, stop that gap, which is basically a barrier for a lot of people yeah. because they're actually very well qualified or they're very good especially like some of the, my, my students have autism and they're some of my best editing students. But because sometimes there's barriers there, they can't get the work in the industry. And what we're what trying to do- What kind of barriers is, would you say are there? Well, like, what there's, is the accessibility there's problems. Barriers include uh, people just not having the confidence in people uh, with disabilities. And, and then like I was saying, it, it, what sometimes happens is people look at the, the word disability and they, they focus on that rather than what actual people can do. So what we do, we look at what people can do. And sometimes people work and learn at different uh, paces. So what we try and do is we keep our classes to a minimum of a maximum of 10, so that we're working more or less one-to-one -one with the students. Because the problem is in universities is they have big classes and often they can't provide that support in terms of one-to-one. And why they like my training is because I've been a film editor 25 years and I also teach it. So what I'm actually teaching is relevant to what actually happens in the industry. A lot of the time you go on courses and the person that's teaching hasn't worked in the industry for years. So what the skills that you're getting aren't always up to date. And a quite nice thing one of my students said, he said, well, I actually learned more in a day with you, Nigel, than in a four year media degree. So that kind of shows you something. And I think that's an important thing that you say, though, about those sort of courses, because, you know, I'm sure many people listening and watching to this will have had experiences where, you know, they've trained for so long, maybe even doing degrees and stuff. But it's that specific training, whether or not it's like a weekend course or a course over maybe like a crash course, you'll learn so much over that period of time. It's like I've been studying for a qualification for about 18 months. And I've done all the online workshops and I've done everything, but I didn't I didn't learn anything. Nothing was new to me that I already knew. It just kind of re-emphasized it. But before my exam, I had to go on a three-day crash course, which was like half and half day sessions. One was on the Friday, one was on the Monday, and then another one was the following Friday. 
with your exam than being the following week. I learned more in that amount of time than I did throughout the whole 18 months. And I don't feel I would have passed my exam had I not had those workshops. The other major issue is, and I found this when I started, is that you might have of all this experience in college or university, but unfortunately, in terms of the industry, they don't see that as experience, unfortunately. So what you have to do is build up uh, your contacts and your networking, um, because unfortunately, I, I didn't like it when I started out because you have to go to a lot of these networking events, but they can actually pay off because my first job I got in, in, in the industry was by going to a conference, meeting a guy. And I, I, I said to him, I just finished um, doing my city in guilds and I've kind of don't know what I'm going to do next. He said, well, come up on Monday. We might be able to give you a job. And I was literally, that's how I got my first job. And it was just being at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times it's actually meeting people. And also a lot of it is being very, very, enthusiastic and keen because I, I've interviewed people and I just think you want to work in this industry but you just don't watch anything so why are you wanting to work in an industry which is a creative industry and you don't actually watch any content and it, for me that just doesn't make any sense sort of thing mm -hmm. it's like I believe the what I'm trying to do is, is work in contacts with both my academy and with production companies and broadcasters because I want to if I possible is to bring back some kind of apprenticeship scheme now the, I know the BBC do do production apprenticeships but there's nothing really specifically in editing and what I want to do is have it so that they spend some time with me learning like different pieces of software but also have real life experience in an edit suite with an editor because I think that's the best way forward because the problem what I found when I started out is a lot of the times when you're working for these facility houses which are basically companies that make programs and commercials you're stuck in the basement in in a machine room and you don't actually get to see what the editor does and I think that's ridiculous because yeah. you don't really learn anything by stuck in a machine room so I was just very cheeky when I when I when I was basically said I've got to leave my first job and it wasn't to anything it was down to cutbacks I said can you send me on an avid course and back then they was quite expensive I think there was two or three grand for mm -hmm. an avid course and they actually said, yes, we will do that, Nigel, because you've been a good employee here. And I did it. And I was stupid. I did the course and I went straight into being a freelance editor. And I wouldn't recommend that to, as the best way of doing it because I had to literally go around all the facility houses trying to say, look, I'm a new editor. Will you employ me? And a lot of the times it was no. But I was fortunate enough to join an agency. And there is editing agencies where they basically then um, pitched me out to get junior editing work and that's what how about I got my agencies first work. for those with disabilities because well like, there, we have there isn't any that I know of but that, that, that's something that could be be uh, available sort of thing because I know there's different ones like you've got like Creative England they're like a big agency and mm. they're always looking for different people with different talents and are very diversity and inclusion and likewise you know you've got like visible casting and visible models again from a disability perspective and mm. you've got dank and um, the disability arts network community yeah i've well. heard that yeah yeah i've heard of dank but I, I don't really know what they do to tell you the truth they're, they're really incredible like if you're not on them if anyone's not on them then definitely check them out so uh, obviously it's a disabilities arts network community 
and they'll get a range of jobs that may come through whether or not it's acting it could be that they're looking for production managers and it's companies that are coming to them to say look we want to be more diverse and we're happy to support people with those with disabilities and make the adjustments that's required to, to assist mm. them with the job and they're posting jobs non-stop and it's huge it used to be kind of like manchester-ish to my understanding but now they've grown and they're getting jobs all over the uk mm. so it's definitely one to check and out and often it's not major things. A lot of companies think when they look at saying employing someone with disability, it's actually minor things. Like for me, sometimes all of the differences is making my screen bigger or making when I'm showing my avid screen, I just make the fonts bigger so that people with uh, eyesight difficulties can read it easier. So a lot of the times it's not major things that you have to do. It's just small small different um, adjustments to be made and yeah. I think sometimes companies kind of are put off because they think oh we've got to invest all this equipment and a lot of the times it's not the case it's just minor things they have to do for adjustments. So the minor things that you touched upon for, for adjustments um, obviously as we know there's assistive technology out there so from a visual impairment perspective you know there could be JAWS or there could be um, Zoom techs from a zooming in perspective does software such as Avid have that pre-built in or are you having to change those in your settings? Because obviously with COVID at the moment and a lot of things being remote, mm. um, a lot of people no. won't be in the classroom. How are you navigating no. COVID with the teaching, especially when it comes to accessibility? Well, what's happened for me, I uh, before March, I was all classroom based and since March, all my training has gone online and so what I've done I've actually gone in the start of my of my class I will go over the settings in in the software and show how you can make the fonts bigger how you can adjust uh, make adjustments and I'm actually um, possibly talking to uh, Microsoft about accessible technology and Avid are very interested in terms of accessibility as well because um, obviously they want people from different backgrounds um, coming into the post-production in industry. And what we don't want to do is, is, is stop people from being creative because the way that I, I actually got better through filmmaking and editing, I actually, there was a period in my life where I couldn't actually get out of bed. I couldn't walk to the shops. And the way I actually got better was making corporate videos for a company which actually works with um, disabled people and it gives them the opportunity to work on a farm and actually that was a really good thing and I, I didn't actually get paid for it but because they loved the, the, the film so much they actually gave me 500 quid um, mm -hmm. to say look this, this is a really good job um, I'm really happy with it sort of thing so unfortunately sometimes people do take advantage of people and I, I do not like that because I don't like people that say that it's an opportunity when it's not and mm. it's actually they've got a budget and they're just trying to use people uh, as 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 cheap as possible I, I don't agree with that at all. How do we but, navigate those conversations because we know it happens hell of a lot yeah. whether or not we're editors, actors, whatever genre we are from the mm. creative industry that happens a lot even like mm. speakers guest speakers at like your big public events mm. it's oh we've not really got the budget for that there, there, there is to navigate that because we need to know our worth well there is um in the film and tv there is an industry called Bechu, uh which are now called vision um and they're the broadcasting tv union and they have actual rates for all grades in terms of runners in terms of 
assistant editors, editors. The only problem is, is like you were saying, sometimes they look at the rates and they say, well, we can't afford that. But what sometimes you have to do is, is, is stick by your guns. <laughs> there was a, quite a funny thing a few years ago. And what happens, they asked me to come in to edit this program. And then they said, oh, Nigel, no, 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 you're too expensive. So I said, OK, fine, we'll leave it at that. And then two days later, they got back in touch with me. And they said, Nigel, the guy's come in and he's ruined the edit. Can you fix it? I said, yeah, but my rate's just doubled. And they said, fine. And it was just like, that was so stupid because they could have had me at the right rate but they've just was trying to cut costs and, and unfortunately it seems to happen a lot in the creative industries is people try and cut costs and it doesn't always work so no, i think it's just corners. yeah it's like me i always say it's, it's like me saying right i want to build a house and but i want you to supply the bricks i want you to build it but i've got no budget and it's like that wouldn't happen in the real world but unfortunately in the creative industries that's what seems to happen so yeah it's, it's very very difficult and what's your advice what would you give to somebody maybe starting out in the industry well what i would do is is try and find out um what other people are be paid and then find out what other kind of rates being pe people been paid and work to that kind of rate and also obviously if there's is a living uh, wage in terms of london you, you want to make sure that you're you're um, going to be on that because obviously the cost of living within London is going to be much much higher than it would be somewhere else in the country. And what's the next steps for for Ability Academy? Like, where where do you want to see it going? Like, do you want your own little school where you can get the qu college qualifications and university? Yeah. What, what's next? I, I think it would be nice because what I would like to do is have some kind of apprenticeship scheme where uh, students can get uh, a qualification, but also get real life work experience. And then maybe there'd be like an actual program where they have six weeks uh, paid work experience with one of the broadcasters or with one of the production companies. And I'm actually speaking to several people um, across the UK and in, um, in Scotland at the moment about doing something like that. But unfortunately, everything takes time. Nothing's like overnight. But I think if we keep talking to the right people, eventually it's going to happen. And obviously, I want the company to grow because currently it's just me um, running everything. And then what I would like to do is bring on more people um in terms of uh employment as well so some of your previous career as well was like looking at um editing feature films for like canes and edinburgh film festival is did you actually edit films for these festivals like how did all that go about well what it was um i started uh, editing when i was at a college called ravensbourne in london and what happened, the um, film that I edited went on and it actually got into the Rain Dance Film Festival in London. And from there, it did so well that it actually went on to Edinburgh Film Festival and it went on to, uh, I think it was a, a festival in Belgium or somewhere like that. And from that experience, I then uh, managed to get another job uh, editing on another feature film. And what happened, because I was still learning, um, I 
got to be like the uh, second editor. So what would happen is you, in a lot of features, um, big ones anyway, you'd have one main editor and then you'd have a secondary editor. So what you would be doing is that you would work alongside each other uh, to assemble the film. And, and that was great for me because um, I, I got to learn so much and that was all on the job kind of training sort of thing. But the problem is, a lot of the times it's very, very hard to get that kind of training because now with budgets being tighter, um, it, it was it was being reduced. But in retrospect, with the new productions for uh, Netflix and Amazon, they're starting to get bigger budgets. So hopefully they can start looking at bringing on apprentices and, and, and training as well, because I know I think Netflix are actually doing a uh, editing training scheme, and I think that's a really good idea, because that's really the best way to learn is to, is to learn on the job, uh, watching people um, edit. No, I totally agree. It's and especially people who may be neurodiverse or have different disabilities, maybe not even people with disabilities, is a lot of people may not be academic where they can read a book, they might be able to memorize it all, but putting that into practice is something completely different. So like, mm. I'm rubbish in an, in an interview. Like if I'm going for a job, I'll probably fall apart, but put me mm. doing the job and that's something yeah. completely different. And you could end up getting the wrong person because yeah, you've, I, I think that, that I think that's a real problem. Actually, I think the way that we we still recruit is a, is a, is not the best way because I'm I'm a bit the same. I, I'm not very good in terms of an interview situation, but if you put me in an edit suite, I could fly. And 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 it shows you how the industry's changed because when I first went for a job at the BBC I went went in for a, a junior editor and there was four old guys in grey suits asking me questions nothing actually relevant to actual editing and they actually said to me uh, Nigel you're not the right type of person to uh, work at the BBC and I was like what what's that mean and they never did say and they never explained it but I think it was because I didn't go to the right school or I wasn't right kind of thing now move on 20 years and guess what I now teach editing classes for the BBC and a few years ago I was working on the one show and actually editing for for the BBC so thank god things are starting to change a bit now sort of thing and we are trying a bit be a bit more inclusive and like I say the, the reason I set up the academy it shouldn't matter these days if you've got um, a visible or an invis invisible disability or not there should be the technology there to help assist people to work in the film and tv industry and i think as i said in an, in an actual uh, recent um interview in, online if we don't include people uh, uh, in in actually making the programs with disability we're never going to represent the whole of the UK because what we're going to do is we're just going to have the same stories about the same people. And what what really offends me is when you see these programs and it's like, oh, the poor disabled person. And it's like, well, why didn't someone with disability actually make the program rather than someone that's probably not actually experienced in it? It's when I get frustrated when I watch programs about bipolar and you can tell that they've never experienced it or they've never actually done that much research because the actual documentary isn't that good sort of thing and it, it for me the best programming is people that actually have these disabilities because oh, yeah. they've 
lived experience of it and you need people with lived experience like for me i had a really bad um panic attack in london one day on on a train and literally no one that day helped me at all i was i was like freaking out i was walking running up and down the, and i think they thought i was a bit doolally but it was because i'd never experienced it and i actually thought i was having a heart attack and i had no one to help me whereas I'm not being nasty and saying like there's a different result, but I think if that was in Glasgow, people would go out their way to try and help me sort of thing. It just feels like sometimes people don't want to help because they think, oh, well, I might get sued or I might do the wrong thing. I'm like, well, I'd rather you help than not help sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. I'm on crutches and I wear a back brace and I was traveling with my job and I had a suitcase and I got off the tube and no lift. And I need the banister to go up the stairs, but I had a suitcase, so I couldn't really do both. And I asked several people if they would help me, and boom, just ignored me, just completely mm. ignored me. And then one person decided to help me. And we tried all the way up to the top, all the way to the door. Turns out he didn't have a ticket, and he was then using me to get through the disability barrier. That's so it's, it's one of those... Yeah backhanded yeah. kind of compliments it's oh, I'm going to help you but I'm also using you now to get through and that happens a fair bit but every time I've been in Wales absolutely perfect everyone's so lovely the same with Glasgow mm-hmm. everyone's been lovely and mm. so so helpful but there are areas of the UK that I've been to um similar to yourself and not had the help and again I don't know if it's if people so am I going to get sued if anyone happens do they think I'm going to run off with the bag is there anything in the bag that shouldn't be and things play on people's minds more that we just get ignored I think what the good thing is now in terms of tv and film anyway um, especially tv now is that people are realizing that we need to be more inclusive we need to recognize that people have got both visible and invisible disability because for a long time people uh, they're quite rude because if they can't see a disability they kind of say well what's wrong with you and it's like well why do I have to tell you what's wrong with me sort of thing I have an uh, an invisible disability which impacts my life but I'm still trying to 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 work and I'm still trying to make it because a lot of people with disability, they, they, what annoys me is a lot of people assume that people with disability choose to be on benefits. That's, that's, that's completely wrong. What it is, is because often there's barriers in the way that prevents them from actually working, which is stops and then uh, enabling them to, to work in, in certain industries. And then hopefully what we're trying to do, especially with my academy, is making sure that we do become inclusive, that we do include people with autism with neurodiversity with all sorts of um, disabilities and include them in into post-production because we're going to make better programs we're going to make better editing um, companies if we do do that because I think there was a report to say actually people that are um, companies that are more inclusive in terms of financial gain they, they actually um, get more financial gain and some of the leading companies in America, in tech anyway, a lot of them have people uh, who, are, who have neurodiversity uh, conditions working for them and they just thrive, they just really thrive. If you could give one message to, to our listeners and our viewers about starting that career in Avid, in editing, 
what would you say like what's been your life lesson today that you'd like to pass on to somebody yeah well you'll find and this this actually used to get me you'll find a lot of the time you'll get a lot and a lot of rejection unfortunately and when I started out I used to send out I think my first job I sent out over 600 um, CVs and out of that 600 CVs I managed to get one job and that's a lot that's a lot and I don't know now what that situation is but I'm assuming it's it's becoming more competitive so what you'll find is that you need to just keep going and keep trying to get as much experience as, as possible because the people that really thrive are the ones that are actually doing stuff that they're either doing hospital radio or they're making little films or uh, I did a film uh, about my 20-year battle with bipolar and, and for me that was really cathartic because I wanted to show to people what it was like to live with this sort of thing and I think if you do certain things and you work with other people you're you're, you're going to find your you'll get there in the end and, and don't give up at the first hurdle because you will find that there will be knockbacks and unfortunately some companies are that rude they don't even reply to you you'll send them a cv or they send them an application and they don't even bother to get back which I think they can at least do but but they don't always so don't don't take it personal because I used to, <laughs> I used to take it very personal when people like didn't get back to me but it it, it it is a competitive industry but I think the people that will get there are the ones that are resilient and will keep going and even like I was told I'd never work in this industry and I was like I'm determined yeah. to work in this industry and Why I did it sort resilience of thing. up like you're you're so passionate about it about, about editing and you know it, that shines through and now you're doing the ability academy which is amazing it's something that the industry's always needed but how yeah. do you how have you stayed so positive and upbeat and how can we ensure others because it's so so easy to give up after the first hurdle right? yeah. what's changed for me um i know for a fact that when i started out it it was just editing that that i needed to do but unfortunately, what's happening now is the amount of skills that you need is changing. So for me, when I started out, I was just a picture editor. I just I just work with the pictures. But now what often on jobs, I have to work, um, cut my own pictures, do my own sound, do my graphics and do a bit of color correction. So I think the more skills that you can uh, get the better and the good thing is there's a lot of free content online now which is good whereas when I started there was nothing so I had to just go through books and read about editing sort of thing whereas now there's loads of YouTube channels and I'm hopefully this year I'm going to start putting content online as well sort of thing so I think if you can learn as much as you can and also what's changed is when I started out um, it was just editing but a lot of newer companies now and I don't know if there's a good thing or a bad thing but a lot of them want you to be able to do a multi-range of skills so that you can actually do a bit of camera work do a bit of sound a bit of editing now you can't be good at everything but if you've got like maybe one or two skills um, or several skills when you apply for jobs you're going to be that little one more step ahead because you've got a range of skills whereas maybe the person that just is picture editing they might not want because you can then do your sound you can do your grading now so, you're not going to be expert at everything but i believe the more skills that you can pick up the easier it is and the good thing is when i started out avid for really expensive it's like 250 grand for an avid now you can pick up a subscription for about 15 pounds a month and it's the same with adobe and the great thing is um black magic resolve you can get a free version of that as long as you've got the 
uh, computer system, you can do that. So now you've got the opportunity to use um, editing, audio, and grading absolutely free, which that's great for accessibility. That's really good. And yeah, um, on that forefront and get some yeah. practicing as well. Yeah, and this year I'm 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 going to be um, a certified instructor in both Avid and Resolve, so I'll be able to offer online courses. And maybe if we ever come out of lockdown, they might be able to do classroom courses as well. But we'll, we'll just see how it goes, sort of thing. So. Fingers but, but in a way, it, it, having it online may be better because you can literally, audience. literally can you can be at your own home and. Mm -hmm like as I'm doing now I'm, I'm teaching people all around the world I've taught people in Spain and China at the moment so as long as you've got the time difference right you can kind of be anywhere and you can as long as you've got the software you can learn so I think that could be a, a really good opportunity. I do believe that Covid has helped with that in a way like all these jobs before where we could never work from home and now magically we can work from home providing we've got the as we've seen like the facilities there to do well, it you know it's, it's funny a real game changer. It's funny, actually, because I've got a friend and he's one of the uh, lead editors or master chef, and he's currently editing from home. So a lot of people, I think, will be editing remotely in the future. So I think the whole industry is going to change forever because now you have the ability to edit remotely. You don't like you. And it's good because you then don't have to trudge into a big city like London or Glasgow or Manchester and which half the time is, is the real battle for me the stressful part was actually getting into a city I actually when I was there the editing was fine it, it was that tube and all that was the stressful bit for me so if people can then at least do some work from home I think it's going to be much much okay. better in the future so. reasonable adjustments as well like you touch yeah. upon there about the traveling like I don't live too far away from work but I actually moved closer to work because that our commute each way every day was just too tiring for my body yeah. but I look well, now if Covid happened five years ago I could still be living with my parents because I could be working yeah. working from home like, and I'm sure they'd yeah. love to have me back but well that that's one of the reasons I moved more into teaching because what used to happen for me as I would work very very long hours and I used to live out quite a bit outside of London so my 10 hour day turned into a 12 hour day because I had an hour to get in and an hour to get back out so it was like a 12 hour day so all I felt like I was doing was working all the time so so actually working from home is, is quite nice because you don't have that long commute in and long commute out sort of thing so I think I think the future is definitely going to be more sort of um, remote working and I think a lot of companies don't like that because they can't keep an eye on you but actually there was a study there was a study in uh, Norway I think and they said people can actually be more productive on a four-day week mm -hmm. than they can in a five-day week so I've read about this there's other yeah. studies as well which has been taking place where people were saying that they're that they may work longer like Monday to Thursday because they've not got that commute. So finishing work at, let's say, half five didn't make a difference to them because had they been in the office, then it's going to be seven o'clock before they get home and stuff. So they're happy to do these added little bits. And it's also, I think a lot of people have now got to grips with more people and children and childcare and different commitments from that aspect we're actually in the process of of creating a new um accessible website as we speak basically so um students can have a look at the courses uh book 
online um, and um, we're going to have it so that you've got different uh, size fonts so that on, on the actual uh, home page you can press a, a little tab and it'll, it'll come up at different uh, size fonts as well so that should be good as well. And you do mention Scotland a lot. What's what, what's your situation with Scotland? <laughs> it's like well, it's Scotland. It's well, I'm yeah. based. I'm based. I'm based there now. So I, I spent ten years living in London, and then and then I've moved to Scotland now, and um, I do all my training in Scotland. Um, but I still teach all over the UK. So I've delivered some stuff for the BBC. Um, I've done some stuff in Luxembourg. I've been all over the place, basically. Uh, but but now what I'm finding is a lot more people want the training to be online. Uh, so you can kind of be anywhere in the world and I can teach you. And now we're the only avid learning partner in Scotland, actually. We're the only online avid learning partner. So we're the only ones that can deliver the official editing courses a lot of the time in any profession in any walks of life a lot of people always look for mentors are you doing mentorship at the moment or is yeah. that something you aspire yeah. to do no i'm actually doing it with a guy called richard at the moment and he's he's he's, he's progressed so really well and i'm doing some one-to-one -one stuff uh through um screen skills and I've basically been doing some mentoring and I've been looking at some of his work and I'm giving some advice and um, talking about different Facebook join, uh, groups to join and um, just just helping along sort of thing because I know how difficult it was for me when I started in the industry and um, a lot of the times you do need that little bit of support yeah. as you start your career. Do you have a mentor? Yeah, my Labrador. <laughs> Labradors are so cute. I love them. And who no, no, I don't actually. Well, actually, I have. I've got a business mentor, which is um, from um, the Royal Bank of Scotland, who's been really good in terms of helping me in terms because I've now got my own branding and my own logo. And that, that's really helped because before I didn't have any of that. And in terms of taking the message forward, it helps. And the whole idea of, uh, I know this sounds very tacky, but the whole idea of the uh, circle of ability is that we're inclusive mm -hmm. and it's like a play bar, that blue um, triangle is a play bar and it's like we're moving forward into the future. So that's the whole idea of it. Well, I like it, it's, it's creative. And purple, I like because obviously it links into like Avid, but also purple, like with purple light up and disability as well. So it's a good color. Exactly, disability yeah, yeah. So who do you, final thoughts from myself and from you is who do you look up to in the editing world? Who do you go, I want to be like that editor? Oh, well, it's, ma it's mainly women editors, actually. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, Thelma uh, Shoemaker, um, who, who is Scorsese's editor, is amazing. I've watched a lot of their uh, older films like Raging Bull and and Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and I just I just love some of that and even people like Michael Kahn who uh, did all the Raiders of the Lock Stark and all the the, the Indiana Jones I, I like I actually I really like 80s films to tell you the truth because that's the kind of when I was I, I was a kid sort of during that and I actually find that I prefer um, films that have got a good story. Um, I, I'll tell you one you really must see uh, if you haven't seen it. It's called the Peanut Butter Peanut Butter Falcon. It's a brilliant film. You've got got to see that one. Um, and I prefer uh, films with a good story rather than special effects because anyone can kind of do a big special effects film. But uh, for me as an editor, I prefer a, a film that's got a really good story. So. No, I think for me that's the same as well because even though editing is fantastic the story is what drives it 
and the, and the, the editing really helps move that along in that journey it's I'm a big lover of documentaries or like the real life kind of um, dramas from art well actually in an editing sense actually doing documentaries I find is more creative than than actually doing features and drama because what happens you're given a load of rushes you're given a load of all this material and it's like make a film from it whereas when you've got a drama or a film you've got a script and it kind of you kind of worked with it but it was there's one quite funny story the first film that I I cut I cut a whole scene out of the film and and the director Anna went ballistic because she was an actress prior to becoming a director and she said well why did you do that I said well it doesn't really work and she said oh let, let me have a look so what the great thing was even back then I could show her with the scene in and with the scene out and she said oh, it slows it down. I said, yeah, that's exactly why I cut it out. But the only problem is it was the only scene this guy had in the whole film. So so I, did, I don't know if he's, he's my best friend anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. And it goes back to these other skills though, that you've spoken about before. It's, it's so important that we gauge this understanding and know our craft because we know what what works best and actually it's quite interesting because some of the best directors came from an editing background and some of the best editors come from a uh, directing background so actually these skills cross over quite regularly because technically you're basically you're a storyteller that's what you are Uh, people get a lot of younger people get bogged down oh it's got to be avid or it's premiere or it's this and i said well yeah it's a tool it's a tool but the real skill is your ability to actually tell a story and for me to then give that film to someone that's not even related to the production and they understand it because then you've done a good job because the, the problem is you become so immersed in your film that you don't always see outside it. And I always say it's always best to have a director and an editor because a lot of I've people say to me... the same thing. Every edit I've been involved in throughout my career, it's always been, you've got your main editor and the director's sat with them. And mm. I would also assist in the room if, if required. And mm. they'd work together to go, can you put that there? Can you put that there? Oh no, no, let's try it the other way around. And they'd both mm. put their creative slant on things. But one of the things that I used to do back in the day don't know if they still do this now in any sort of teaching is we didn't edit like on a computer is you would do a paper edit first and you'd go Uh, down that route and uh, when I started that's the way I would do it was always do a paper edit but these days you just can't because the amount that they shoot is ridiculous what 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 frustrates me in a little bit of a sense is I started when it was film, so you'd only shoot what you needed to. But now it's digital video. They shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And they don't really understand how they're going to put all this together in the edit suite. So that's what kind of frustrating. Yeah, well, often it was like they were shooting, but it was like someone's feet they were shooting because they would just have the camera keep running kind of thing. And we can't do these sort of programs without without yourselves. Like, you know, if you can as you say then it's like with the craft of editing is it could be a real real boring storyline but put the right effects in put the right music in get it crafted and you can make it look and sound amazing Mm. but thank you so much for for coming on today and if anybody does want to go and check out your website um they can head over to abilitypostproductionsacademy.co.uk and they can also find yourself on twitter at nhoney H-O-N-E-Y.